You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're live. One, two, three, four. What's up, everybody? Welcome into West by Pod, a podcast about WVU sports, the Big 12 Conference, and former Texas Tech quarterbacks. I'm Joel Bracken. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me. Sorry, on X, you can find me at WB Stats Guy. I'm joined as always by Jordan Pinto. He's at Game Day Shorts. Jordan, we are like getting halfway through our, our deep dives. Um, it is hot as hell outside, but we are moving towards fall. How are things going with you? Uh, it was it was much closer to fall in Canaan Valley uh, over the weekend, which is which is where I spent my weekend with the uh, with the fam. had a had a high of seventy one and a nice breeze and low humidity all weekend. So, um, you know, living living that uh, living that mountain life was uh, was a nice little step away. Um, got some golf in, so I'm good. Just big big mental health weekend win for the uh, for the kid over here. Nice. That's awesome. Man, I was down in North Carolina. It was 96 degrees when I was out on the golf course. I was I don't sweat like that, but I was trying not to throw my golf club on the on the release because my hands were so sweaty. It was it was super hot. Um, It's not ideal. Yeah. 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 Well, can't complain when you're on a golf course. So um, but yeah, so we are keeping the deep dive series rolling um after this episode we will be i guess over halfway if we don't count the the fcs game we will be over halfway through the opponents um that west virginia is going to play this year this episode we are doing houston and oklahoma state um so if you haven't heard the previous episodes we're just going in order and the teams that wvu is playing um and kind of just like we did last season we're you know just kind of talking big picture talking position groups, coaching, you know, what's going on with this team, what to expect, and, uh, you know, moving into the season. It's always very fun, I feel like, the first month of the football season. You learn so much. There's so much, um, you know, to find out, and you really get to know these teams. So this is just like a a sneak peek into what to expect from these teams. You know, we're in late July. There's honestly not a lot of extra football news going on right now, so we don't really have a a lead-in segment. I think we're just going to get started today. Um, if that sounds good with you jordan so we are starting off with the houston cougars um last season 2022 eight and five they were five and three in conference and they were in the american conference which they no longer will be they are in the big 12 um you might know the head coach dana holgerson he is uh going to be entering his fifth season which is kind of crazy to think that fifth season now um and maybe an interesting path with Houston. You know, they were kind of that F or the that that second tier, that G five power level. Um, but Dana's had two losing seasons in his four years so far. Um, but then he backed that up with a twelve win season, and last year an eight win season. Though um, I'll just go ahead and say I think a skeptical eight win season. Um, but do you have any initial thoughts on Houston from last year, Jordan? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, somewhat somewhat disappointing right i mean you know you think of houston they're they're one of the premier you know i guess one of the flagship 
uh, programs in the American. That's why they got the invite to the Big 12. And yeah, I mean, you're looking through the schedule and I, I mean, who's the best team they played? Tulane, I guess. Um, and they lost, lost to Kansas, lost to Texas Tech, um, beat Memphis by one, beat UTSA by one, beat Tech, beat Temple by a touchdown. BD Carolina 42 to three. So I guess that's something, but yeah, no, I mean, generally like, you know, it, I don't know, not, not super overwhelming, uh, not a super overwhelming resume. Um, you know, one, six of eight to finish the year, I guess that's the positive, but overall it's just kind of a classic Holgerson team, right? You know, it felt like, um, they could move the ball They were, They were good offensively, um, had some really good players defensively, but maybe not the most productive or, or the stingiest defense that he's had there for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I'd say a pretty ho hum G five season. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a strange momentum, and I feel like you know a lot of these teams coming into the league have a have an odd momentum to be coming in where they have had a lot of success recently, but most of them do not have like super high expectations. They're not cresting, yeah, yeah. They're not really at the top of that that wave that a lot of these teams sort of have to ride in college football, but. Um, yeah, I mean, you said it. The, the schedule is pretty soft. Um, you know, you lost to Texas Tech and Kansas, which now those are going to be conference opponents. Uh, but the in-conference schedule, pretty pretty weak. Um, I'm just looking quickly. You know, something that stands out to me also, the attendance. Um, I don't think they broke 30,000 people at home, <laughs> which is like, you know, this is now a Power 5 program. That, that stands out to me a little bit. But a little ho-hum, 8-5, and five, but... Um, you know, a lot of a lot of easy wins or easy-ish wins if you're supposed to be the G5 power there. Um, so, you know, a new day stepping into the Big 12. Like I mentioned, Dana now is in, will be his fifth season. Um, I'm really not sure what the narrative is with Dana. I'm not sure how Houston fans feel about him. Um, you know, is he the kind of guy that can get you to the promised land or can you just be pretty good every so many years with him? I don't know. I mean, they, like I said, they had that 12-win season, but also two losing seasons uh, with the schedule they had and everything. Kind of surprising. Um, you know, I think one of the things, obviously, Houston has going for them, like some schools like TCU um, and a handful of other schools in Texas, is just, yeah, you kinda, you're kind of you in a recruiting hotbed. You can get guys. You can get the guys that were overlooked by Texas and Oklahoma and A&M. Um, so th- there's a wealth of talent, and that's obviously always going to help Houston. Um so yeah, just mentioning the coaches. Dana's the the head coach. I did not see an offensive coordinator listed on no, their I, website. I, I think I guess it's just Dana. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really didn't know how to take that. They just don't have one listed, so no OC. And the nope. DC is Doug Belk, um, who he was a co-defensive coordinator for two years, and then this will be his third year now as the lone defensive coordinator. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the Houston defense hasn't been all that impressive. They definitely weren't last year. So, uh, you know, I don't know what that says for the coaching staff. Um, yeah. Any, any comments on, on the coaches? Yeah. I mean, you know, with Dana, it feels like a little bit of stagnation with Dana. Right. Um, and, you know, I think one of the, the knocks on him when, when he was here is that he wasn't all that interested in, in recruiting. You know, he kind of just let the product sell itself. It seemed like where it's like, we're going to be fun. We're going to play a fun brand of football. We're going to score points. And if you want to come be a part of that, great. If not, then we'll find somebody else who does. Um, and yeah, like you said, in Texas, you know, guys fall through the cracks who are very good players. Um, and so I think, you know, what's going to kind of make or break his tenure is does this jump to the big 12 also lead to a jump in some of the recruits they're able to pull in? Like, are they able to step up and challenge a TCU with Texas tech? You know, I, don't, I mean, you're not going to challenge Texas, but like, are you able to start fighting Baylor, TCU, Texas tech, um, for kind of that second tier, uh, of recruit that's going to be in Texas. And if he can, then I, you know, I think he'll. I'm sure he'll be successful, at least offensively. Um, the Belk thing, Belk was Belk was at WVU uh, with Dana, so he followed him down there when he made the jump. Um, guy was always a great recruiter here. Um, you know, like you said, you know, I don't I don't feel like he's proven as a big time defensive coordinator. I guess you know this would be, you know, kind of looking through the roster, this would be a year to show it if he is, because uh, it's going to take a, a pretty pretty impressive coaching job i feel like to, to kind of whip those guys into shape but yeah i don't I, I don't i don't see this as like a make or break year um for the like the houston administration with dana because like you said he's he's had a couple winning seasons he had a 12 win season i feel like that buys a little bit of goodwill um but i think it's going to be like the next two or three years like how does the recruiting go um like how do they kind of you know how does the initial foray into the power five level go for them 
Yeah, and um, it would be Neil, Neil Brown's dream to probably be in the position that all these coaches are stepping up into a conference. I feel like you just get a free year no matter what because yeah. it's just, you know, like, hey, let's hit the ground running and see what happens. But I don't think you're going to have too much held against you um, as the competition greatly increases. So, you know, Houston, they're picked to finish 12th in the conference. The only teams that are above are Cincinnati and West Virginia. And I think this team kind of, at least the way they were structured last year, they really border on that, like, can you have one elite unit and can they just like drag the other unit, you know, by the, by the boots all the way to, to the promised land. So last year, 22nd in effective offense, this was a pretty good offense. And um, when I'm talking about these rankings, these are adjusted for um, like strength of, of record and strength of um, schedule. Yeah. So 22nd is very good for like a G5 school, um, but a hundredth in effective defense. And just as a reminder, West Virginia was 84th. So, um, you saw, you know, the, some of those games that West Virginia would seem like there, there weren't enough people on the field to cover everybody. Um, and this defense graded out, you know, a, a little bit worse than that. So, um, and, and also I guess the parallel this year, they're 25th in returning offensive production. So they had a great offense and they get a lot of guys back. They're 117th in returning defense production. So they, they stunk on defense last year. And they're not getting any of those guys back, which, you know, that could be a good thing. Could but be, Yeah, it could be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to have the continuity on one side and uh, the change up on the other side. So I guess uh, let's let's get into the offense. Um, so, you know, this is a podcast about former Texas Tech quarterbacks. And Donovan Smith is one of those guys. And Donovan Smith, like I think we mentioned in the Texas Tech pod, like I kind of thought he was the better quarterback at Texas Tech. How, how do you feel about Donovan Smith? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think w- what I said on that is, you know, when he gets hot, he's he's a really good player, right? Um, he, he definitely had some high highs. Uh, you know, I think that the the knock on him um, would be he, a little bit erratic, right? Like there were games where it felt like you know his completion numbers were really low, um, so you know maybe a little inconsistent with the with the accuracy. Um, if you look at the like the turnover worthy play numbers on PFF. Um, up towards the top of the conference uh, among quarterbacks who attempted over, you know, a certain number of passes. I, you know, I, th- I want to say there were like 20 big 12 quarterbacks who hit the threshold that I put in and, and Smith was in the top five in turnover worthy plays. Um, so, you know, I, I think the knocks may be a little bit uh, erratic uh, in terms of accuracy, maybe a little bit of questionable decision-making. Um, he's a big dude. He's athletic, but um doesn't really the the running numbers uh, and like the deep passing numbers don't really look as good as you would expect for somebody who is as big and as strong as he is. Um, so I don't know. You know the the, the thing it, it has to be said like right there are air raids and there are air raids. Um, Texas Tech is is one and like Texas Tech and Houston will both run the air raid, but Dana's looks a lot different than Texas Tech does. Definitely. Um, and so you know I, I'm curious to see like how much of um, you know, like those deep passing numbers, the scrambling stuff is a, a, a fact of the way that Zach Kidley coached him at Texas Tech last year. And will that improve, um, you know, under Dana this year? Because like if you look, Clayton Toon was fucking awesome last year, right? Like led them and led them in rushing, um, was an awesome passer, pushed the ball downfield really well. And so, you know, I, I, you know, we remember when Dana was here, the, the guy can he can get people open. Um, and so, I'm, you know, I'm curious to see. I, I kind of hate to say it. It feels like Donovan Smith is the kind of guy who will probably thrive under Dana. Um, you know, I think he's going to be pretty good. I don't know if he'll be as good as Clayton Toon was because Toon was uh, a two or three year starter who was really, really productive there. But um, in terms of just dragging the barrel of the transfer portal and trying to replace a guy like Toon, Donovan Smith is a good pull. Yeah, great pull. I mean, you know, pulling a, a I, I guess you call him a starting power five quarterback. Yeah. You know, he he didn't play a lot after maybe the fifth or sixth week of last season, but he's a guy you knew and he has he has several years. He's gone through the, the motions and um yeah, I, I really agree with a lot of stuff you said there. You know, Houston last year was in the top twenty in pass play percentage in terms of, you know, they're gonna be a pass heavy offense. Um it does look different than than some of these other types of air raids, but um and you also mentioned the thing about, you know, Clayton Toon was really good at pushing the ball downfield. He did that uh, like 70 times last year. He had a pass of over 20 yards, and he completed 42%, which is like pretty decent for that. Number, yeah. um, Donovan Smith, that, that that would be something that I would be, um, you know, if he can adapt and really fit that role. Last year, you know, in the limited games he played, he threw it downfield only 28 times that far, and his completion percentage was under 28%. So 
you know, that's like the, the difference that I'm kind of seeing in the, the structure. But, you know, like you said, big guy, I think he can push the ball downfield. And that's, I think, kind of the, the realm they're going to want to get him involved with. Um, but yeah, I, I, the, the running game, I think you mentioned Toon was, you know, was a part of that, like a heavy part of that. Yeah, he's a, he's a design running threat, right? And and I think Smith was Smith is a capable runner, but he's always been more of a scrambler. Like he's not Texas mm-hmm. Tech just doesn't do a whole lot of QB, you know, design QB running type of stuff. So, it'll be interesting to see can he can he be a design threat with the with the ball in his hands and, and yeah, I want to say what was it, like 13% of his targets were um over 20 yards, which is really low down uh at the at the power 5 level. That's that's a really low number. Um, and so, yeah, can he be a design threat? Can he push the ball down the field? And if he can, then I think he's going to be just fine with Dana. Yeah, Dana, like you said, Dana knows how to get people open. That's that's basically why he is where he is. Yep. I mean, that is his specialty. Um, so continuing with the, the transfer portal theme here, um, running back, probably going to be the starter is Tony Mathis Jr. coming out of West Virginia. Um, and I, I kind of thought funny the parallel as well with Donovan Smith, kind of a guy who maybe started the year as the guy and as the year went on faded tony mathis i think experienced the same thing i mean this time last year we were talking about how good tony mathis was going to be and you know he had some games i think it was maybe the baylor game he had an awesome game you know in the middle part of the season but um sort of as the season drug on it was not maybe what you thought it was going to be at the beginning so he's going to be coming in probably likely the uh the top guy um and then is it stacy sneed is probably going to be the backup who he had the opposite to that. He finished the season really strong, and he was kind of the guy that, that stole that role at Houston last year. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I I, I would see them. It's, I I'm expecting a pretty even split of carries. Um, so you know, Mathis, so like, we're very familiar with him. He's uh, you know a big, strong guy, runs really hard, hard to tackle, not the most explosive, right? Doesn't have a ton of pop to his game, but if there are yards there, he's going to find him. He's going to put his head down and find him. Sneed feels a little bit uh, kind of on the other end of the spectrum, right? Like had a little bit more pop. I think he averaged close to seven yards a carry. Um, so, uh, you know, I could see a little bit of a thunder and lightning action um, kind of going on there because he graded out really well. Um, you know, he, I think what his running grade was in the 80s somewhere, which is which is a really effective number. Um, and like I said, you know, average close to seven yards a carry, five touchdowns. Um, so, yeah, he's a, he's a good player. I think the backfield actually – it's quality backfield. It looks like they have good players. They had another dude there who had like 91 carries last year, but didn't have a ton of pop. I expect Tony Mathis, Brandon Campbell's his name. I expect Tony Mathis to take most, most of his carries. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he and he and Sneed kind of to, uh, to kind of complement each other depending on situation. Definitely. I think it could be a good one, two punch. And last year they really spread the carries around three guys somewhat evenly. So yeah, I think it's realistic to expect kind of the, the running back by committee there. Um, I mean, Snead averaged 6.9 a carry really just yeah. in the second half of the season. I and mean, that's solid. Um, obviously, <laughs> you have to like add that that sprinkle of salt in for everything when we talk these G5 step-up teams where it's like just everything is different now. It's like the size of your O-lineman. You're probably not outsizing the guys. Now you're the undersized O-line. You know, those are just like all the things that you have to... Yeah, remember. I mean, we read through the schedules, you, you know... It's not a not a whole lot of scary teams on there. Tulane, Tulane's good, but you know, again, they wasn't a murderers murderers row last year that they were playing. Yeah. Um, how you feel about the wide receivers? Yeah, the wide receivers. I you know, Tank Dell's a big loss, um, and he was a third round draft pick. So you know, that is, I think you know, that's going to be a lot of your returning production that is gone. I think it's going to be kind of centered around him. Um, he had 141 targets. I mean, that is a that is a top target kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, 100, 109 catches, 59 went for 10 plus yards, 20 went for 20, 20 plus yards, 17 touchdowns. It's fucking insane production. Yeah, um, that's you know, a big loss. Yeah, yeah, I think so. They get Matthew Golden back. They get Sam Brown back. They get Jack Manjack or Joseph Manjack back. Another, uh, yeah, I think he's probably going to be like a second team uh, all name guy in the conference honorable mention year. for sure. Um, but yeah, Golden and Golden and Brown were both really productive last year. I think they both had what close to 60 targets. Um, you know, about five between five and six hundred yards apiece, eleven touchdowns combined. But Tank Dell was a special sauce, dude. You know, they moved him all over the formation, got him the ball short, got him the ball intermediate, got him the ball long, made plays at every level. And uh, you know, losing a guy like that can 
and I don't know. I mean, it's you, you know, you're losing the big banana. Like, are any of these guys able to step up and and kind of be that lead guy? Because I mean, we've seen when you don't have a number one, it makes it harder. When when you do have a number one, everything else can tend to click into place. Yeah, exactly. There there are different dynamics to receiving rooms. Like I think we talked about Texas Tech, and it was like, cool, we got twelve dudes. You got to guard them yeah. all. It, this was Tank Dell at 141 targets, and next up was Sam Brown with 57. There's there's like a different attention a defense gives a a guy like that. He draws doubles, uh, and you know he's just got that extra set of eyes on him. Now you know can all these other guys beat their matchup, and you know with the with the cover two or whatever it is, it's going to be a little different. But oh no, I think this is a fine receiving room. They got some um, they got a lot of transfers in as well. Yeah, um, kind of in the two deep. So. You know, we'll see how they they contribute as well. I like I like the pieces. Uh, Stephon Johnson, one of the dudes. I mean, one of part of the Oklahoma State ex- exodus, which we'll talk about. But um, decently productive. Think he had like forty targets. He was good after the catch last year. Josh Cobbs from Wyoming, um, big physical dude who had two productive years of Wyoming. Um, name to watch. Uh, I think it's Mikhail Mikhail Harrison Pilot, four star freshman. Um, he's cracked the two deep. That's why I looked him up. I watched his highlights, and the dude looks fucking good. He's like, like six one two oh five, like one of those like kind of running back looking wide receivers who's really fast. Played in Texas in high school, um, so you know the competition was legit, and was like running by people in in high school in Texas. So um, I think he's one to keep an eye on. I'm sure Dana's kind of licking his chops uh, with that one. Hopefully, he hasn't gotten his feet under him by week uh, six or seven or whenever we play them, but. Um, I think he's going to be a name to watch there uh, for this year and, and definitely going forward. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good room. I, Dana's going to find a way to make him productive. I think they're going to be they're going to be fine. Um, tight yeah. end, tight end is iffy. They lost their top target there. They get one guy back, but kind of I mean, it was Matt Burns and Logan Compton, both of them like kind of pretty average grades. Um, you know, kind of average as blockers, pretty unproven as pass catchers. I don't know. Not not a whole lot to be excited about there. Um, obviously, Michael Laughlin there too, but it sounds like they have him in a glass case. I don't know how much he's going to actually play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure about O'Laughlin. Yeah, I wasn't really that impressed with any of the tight end play. Didn't even really write anything down for that when I was looking <laughs> through it. Just was like, yeah, they, they have him. But but yeah, I mean, it's like you said, it's, it, there's that intangible that Dana just sort of brings to the table. It's like, they got enough guys. They're going to find ways to get them open. The offense yeah. is going to clearly be the strength of this team. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I really don't hate this O-line. Um, I think they get enough guys back, but I, I think just general grain of salt, like I mentioned, is like it, it's different when you're playing you know, the, the bottom part of the G5 compared to now you're the, the, the small kid on the block and, and playing, you know, you know what linemen who go to Texas and Oklahoma, Oklahoma State look like. And, you know, that's a different – not only is it a different challenge on a week basis, it's a, it's a week to week to week. It's a depth. It's a like, you know, it's a it's a long season. We know football, you know, sometimes comes down to health. And, um, you know, that that's just something I think just general general frame of mind I keep with all of these, these new teams that that will be an adjustment. I think depth is the biggest difference between like the Power 5 and G5 level. For sure. For sure. Yeah. No, I mean, every, everybody has good players. Not everybody has waves of good players and that's what you need in, in the power five level. Um, we've seen it ourselves. I mean, you know, I think even, even a, whatever level you want to say program that we've been in power five over the last, you know, decade, half decade, like injuries stack up and it really, it kicks us in the ass. You know, we might have one or two guys at every position that can play. You lose them and you're down to a, to a, I mean, shit, we played a, we played a, a, a walk on last year. Um, at corner for like the second half of the season. We wonder why our pass defense was bad. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, generally the, the O-line experience, a lot, a lot of seniors, a lot of redshirt seniors. Um, you know, I think, like you said, I think the first first wave is probably going to be okay. Um, a lot of transfers in the two deep, so I'm not sure what kind of depth, like how that depth's going to hold up. But um, and yeah, in general, um, I think... I think there's plenty for Dana to work with on offense. I think, yeah, I, I, it's not going to be the best offense in the conference, but I would expect them to be kind of right, right in the meat of the conference um, in yep. terms of offense. You know, it's they're, they're going to be they're going to be fine offensively. Yeah, yeah, and, and you mentioned it, but four seniors on the offensive line and one junior—that's always a great sign when you're a team that has to hit your crest. Um, beautiful segue. Can the defense hold any water at all? Hell no. Um, Spoiler alert, they probably cannot. 
Um, so, you know, we mentioned the, the returning defensive coordinator, Belk. Um, last year, I'll, I'll just say it again, this defense was um, 100th in effective defense. That is adjusted for the schedule they played. Um, and then they are 117th in returning production. So not good. And most of the bright spots um, that were sprinkled in there are gone. Um, you know, the, the, I think the, the one really big guy to mention is Nelson Caesar on the defensive line. We'll start there. Um, last year, this defensive line was, was not bad. They had guys who could generate pressures. If you really look at, if you subscribe to the PFF stuff, um, a lot of their top rated guys were, were pass rushers and, you know, maybe a similar conversation of you lose all these guys is, is Caesar good enough as him by himself to sort of fill those gaps? Because, um, you know, you lose your four or three of your top four guys in pressures and they have a, um, I have it written down here. They had five defensive linemen, um, rated over an 84 in PFF last year and they lose four of them. Uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's a pretty big pain point to me. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think two of those, uh, or maybe even three, I know one of them at least got drafted, but I think three of them have signed NFL contracts, uh, from that defensive front last year. Um, really good group up front. They created a lot of havoc. Um, and yeah, like you said, I mean, they lose five of their top 10 by snaps, top four by grade. Um, I think I have written down 137 combined pressures and 22 sacks from, from the front four. Um, the five who they have coming back, you know, I kind of feel like they, they all played, they all played decent. Um, but can they step up and be like, you know, can they be a guy who's going to sign an NFL contract in a year or two? Um, I don't know. That's a, that's a question mark. And then also, uh, you know, depth, um, you know, it's, it's nice to have four good defensive linemen. It's a whole lot better to have like 10. So, um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Nelson Caesar's definitely the headliner up there. They have a couple other guys who played well. Um, if there is a strength on this defense, even considering the guys they lost, I still think that it's the defensive front. Um, but that's more of a comment uh, on, on you know kind of the back half of the defense really than that's saying that I think they're going to be yeah. yeah then they're going to be spectacular because I mean you know you look at the linebacker um, they lose they lose their top two guys by snaps none of the dudes who played last year graded out well none of the dudes who are coming back from last year graded out well um, Malik Robinson's the one name it looks like he started the first two games and I'm guessing he got hurt um, last year so it had to be interesting to see. Um, I think he plays, uh, uh, he's going to be their middle linebacker. Um, but yeah, not, not a whole lot to inspire confidence at the second or third levels. What are you, uh, what are you seeing kind of in the back half? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I saw where you're going with that. It's, it's, I mean, the linebacking core, I don't have any comments. It's like the guys who were there last year were not great. And the guys who are going to be playing really haven't taken a lot of snaps or have not been, uh, historically good. So um, I don't really see any like bright spot on the linebacking core. And then, yeah, I, another thing, I mean, we mentioned it several times now, the depth, when I'm looking at the secondary, I mean, there's like a two deep, but um, there's just a lot of risky parts I'm seeing. Like they, they have three transfers who are projected to be starters. They have a New Mexico, uh, a transfer from, I mean, just if you listen to the schools, it's transfer from New Mexico, a transfer from Texas Southern. And then, um, I really like this one. I think this is a really fitting transfer. Uh, Latrell McCutcheon, he uh, was at Oklahoma with uh, Lincoln Riley, transferred to USC with Lincoln Riley. Now he's here at Houston. I feel like those are three teams. Uh, Houston is the much more watered-down version, but uh, all offense, no defense kind of team. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of trying to find bright spots in the secondary in the, in the linebacking core, but um, you just got to hope that the if you're a Houston fan you got to hope that that something sticks and you find enough guys to get out there and you got to stay healthy because um you, you quickly get into some guys that I don't know that they want playing a lot of snaps yeah there's I mean you know you're looking at the, the we're, I mean we're going off of our lads here um but our lads does their research you know so it's it's generally pretty good and the two deep is a true two deep, right? Like there's not a whole lot of positions in the secondary where there are more than two names listed at any one position. Um, yeah. I mean, four new starters out of the five defensive back positions. Uh, never, never great as we well know. And the one dude who is back graded out literally at a 41.7 last year um, on 115 snaps, Antonio Brooks. Um, you know, it's, 
It's bleak. Um, or sorry, Alex Hogan was a returning starter. Uh, Brooks contributed last year, but but didn't start. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're looking like Noah Guzman is is the backup free safety. That guy like couldn't even get in on the kickoff team for us. Uh, he transferred from West Virginia, I think, uh, a year or two ago. Um, the dude actually, the the New Mexico dude, a Derry Halsey, um, had really nice grades. Had like an eighty five point five. Played a ton of snaps. Only missed eight percent of his tackles. So, um, and he was a true freshman last year. So you know, I. Curious to see how he adjusts. Um, he's one where I would be excited about that guy if we got him. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so we'll see how he transfers, um, if he's able to uh, kind of be a, uh, a foundational piece on the back end of that defense. Because, I mean, like you said, yeah, it's, it's bleak. It's bleak. Um, I, you know, I, it, it, this is yeah, – it's, it, it's going to be a bad defense, I think. It's going to be definitely in, in kind of the lower third, maybe even like the lower quarter of the conference. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, so do you remember what the over-under for Houston was this season? Yeah, it's it's four and a half, man. They're not like, – I mean, like we said, they're, they're limping in here. They, they lost a ton from a not that great of a team last year. Um, yeah, four and a half wins. Four and a half, and the, the out-of-conference schedule is – is two pretty easy softballs and and one right down the middle. So you got UTSA, uh, Rice, and Sam Houston. Um, I mean, Sam Houston should be a win. Rice, you would expect to win. UTSA maybe leans a loss. So I mean, if you if you give them two out of those three, can they? Rice find can three be sneaky, home? frisky sometimes too, though. Rice is always like a you know, like it feels like once every five years you hear about Rice like being top ten in the country in like offense or something. Yeah. You know? So, but yeah, no, I think I, I would say you'd be very disappointed if you didn't win at least two, um, probably mildly disappointed if you don't win all three, uh, just as, you know, as the power five member, um, you're, you're looking at some, some smaller schools in Texas. You, you got to expect to win those games. Yeah. I would, I, I would stay away from the Houston cause it's a low number and you feel like Dana will pull enough magic to to have some games where they're going to score a lot of points, but the defense is just such a question mark. Like they could lose some fifty six to forty nine type games where like the offense looks like it's a it's a good to great unit. The defense looks like it's a you know a paper bag. So um, yeah, I would, I would lean to just stay away. Um, and I, I think I picked under in our. Oh wait, no, I think I picked over in our in our preseason think- thing. I think we picked over, um, but yeah, I would probably stay away. You know, I, I don't know. I think the defense is going to be bad, bad. Um, and yeah, just looking at this, I don't know. Like, if they win, if they win more than five games with this team, like it's a masterclass from from Dana. I, you know, I think like five hundred, like winning six games would be a very good season, um, just based on how bad I expect the defense to be. So. Devil's advocate, you do get, if you win the three out of conference, you get West Virginia at home, you get Cincinnati at home, travel to UCF. Um, I mean, like, all those would be, like, winnable games for them. Uh, I mean, the other and schools. The, you know, the middle of that. So, after they get us, like, they better fucking hope they beat us because after that they get they get Texas, Kansas State, Baylor um, yeah. to round out October. So, yeah, if you don't beat us. Um, I mean, you're looking at I, like I don't expect them to be TCU or Texas Tech. No, you don't beat us. You're sitting at three and three. You lose the next two. You're sitting at three and five. You lose to Baylor. You're three and six. And you know, at that point, like we've seen, I with Dana, right? We've seen with Dana how an elite offense, the pressure of having to score every time that you go on the field can break a team. I mean, fuck, it broke Gino uh, Stedman and Tavon's team in 2012, and this team doesn't have anywhere. And anywhere near the talent that that squad did. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if they go over four and a half, I wouldn't be shocked. If they win more than five, I would be, you know, it's a standing ovation for, for Dana. Yeah. But like I said, I think easy in year, probably get a, a year zero sprinkled in there. Um, so, uh, but yeah, that that's the Houston Cougars. I have a, I have a trivia um, segue question for you. So, who do you think has more current NFL active NFL players, um, Houston or Oklahoma State? If I, I tell mean, you that Houston had twenty four, how many would you expect Oklahoma State to have? Oh man, yeah, I mean like thirty. 
I would expect Oklahoma State to have more. I'm guessing that they don't, though. I would have, too, especially with the defenses they've sent recently. Um, but 24 for both teams. And if you want to feel really? bad, West Virginia has 19 active NFL players. <laughs> God, we suck, dude. Yeah, so there, there it is. That's <laughs> <laughs> tough. Um, That's tough. So, so with that, I think we'll transfer or, uh, we'll transition to Oklahoma State. Um, unless you have anything else for, for Houston. Let's do the pokes. All right, the pokes, the cow pokes. Um, last year, they ended the season as the the zombie cowboys. Um, they were 7-6 and six on the season, 4-5 and five in conference. They were another team that you look in their schedule, and I mean, like, obviously they played the Big 12 schedule, but their out-of-conference was super soft, and uh, they finished the season 6-8, and eight, um, or 6 of the last 8 uh, were losses. So... Um, the wheels just, I mean, I think of where Oklahoma state was at the end of not last season, but the season before, um, you know, that really felt like Gundy is kind of having a renaissance, figured some stuff out, changed his philosophies, defense heavy. Um, but man, somewhere around the midpoint of last year, like things really went, went off the rails and, uh, a pretty disappointed end to the season. Uh, Gundy will be entering his 19th season and other than the first season he coached at oklahoma state you could call it year zero um other than that he has had a winning record every single season so seven and six tied for his worst record you know after getting getting the paint off the ground so what did you think oklahoma state last year um yeah i mean tail of two seasons right Uh, you you start six and one you lose six year last eight to close the year um obviously you lose to us uh you you know you lose to us you're probably down pretty bad last year. Um, it's kind of weird. You know, the offense was like offense was the calling card for Oklahoma state for, for the 2010s. Right. Like, I mean, they were always top 10 in yards, top 10 in explosives, top 10 in points, all that kind of stuff. And then it seems like the last couple of years, they've, they've leaned into this running game, like quarterback run. Um, you know, I don't know if maybe this, this changes now that Spencer Sanders isn't there, but, um, really tried to, you know, grind teams into dust and they had that defense was just fucking amazing for um, a couple years. And, you know, I think what, what it was is like the offense was pretty average, maybe below average last year. And the defense like took a step back from elite, like top 10 defense in the country to like just merely like a pretty good defense. And, um, you know, it's it was like the opposite of the thing that I said with the offense, right? Like when the defense feels like it has to get a stop every single time that they're on the field or they're probably going to lose the game, like eventually that can break a team. And I think that, you know, kind of is what happened, right? Like they just, um, you know, the, the it, it, it wasn't a complimentary football team last year um, and it caught up to them. And, and yeah, just not at all. Not at all. Apart. Not, yeah, not complimentary. And I, I think there was definitely something weird that happened in the middle of the season. So you had Central Michigan, Arizona State, Arkansas, Pine Bluff. Those are free wins. You beat a 16th-ranked Baylor team, who we found out Baylor wasn't that good, but you're feeling good. They beat Texas Tech, who ended up being pretty good. And then they lose to TCU by a field goal. Things are still fine. They beat a ranked Texas team. And at that point, you're like, this team's fine. They lost a close game to TCU, yeah. and they're doing well. You lose 48 to nothing to Kansas State. You get housed by Kansas. You score 20 points in a win versus Iowa State. Lose to Oklahoma in a down year. Lose to West Virginia. Lose to a bowl game in Wisconsin. Um, so, yeah, it, it just something happened in the middle of the year, and this team just fell apart. Well, and, I mean, we've seen, right? Like, I mean, I mentioned the the exodus in the Houston section. What did they have, like 27 dudes hit the portal or something like that? I mean, it was, I think, the highest number in the Big 12, definitely, and probably one of the highest numbers in the entire country of where – yeah, the the what, whatever happened, it, it turned a lot of people off, and they left seeking uh, seeking uh, greener pastures. I mean, a lot of those a lot of those dudes landed in the Big Twelve, you know. So it's almost, yep. you know, I mean, purely reading into this, right? Like it almost feels spiteful, right? Like a, a little bit when you know you can you can transfer anywhere, you transfer into the conference where you're probably going to play your old team again. Um, I don't know. There's something to that a little bit, but. Uh, or, well, I don't know if there is something to that, but, you know, who knows? Um, but, yeah, I, just a far cry from what we've come to expect from Oklahoma State over the last decade. Yeah, I mean, they were just solid, consistent, very good. Not always great, but very good. Um, Nine to and, ten every, every year. Yeah. Nine to ten. Yeah, so, so big changes coming. I mean, obviously, 
some some questions just in general about the program. But big change at quarterback, Spencer Sanders, who's been the quarterback there um, since anyone has started following college football. Um, he is gone, and he is still playing college football. He's going to Ole Miss. Um, so Alan Bowman, your other um, Texas Tech, former Texas Tech quarterback, is taking over. Kind of forgot about him. He was at Michigan the last two years, took like 15 snaps the whole time. Um, but here he is back again um, at um, at Oklahoma State, and I, I think he's going to be the top guy. I think he's going to be the starter, though I, I've seen – Different things, different guys swirling around. Um, but this is a six-year guy, a quarterback. That's that's never a bad sign. Yeah, I mean, he's got a lot of he he's got a he's got a lot of experience. I mean, that's one thing that you would say. Um, but like you said, I mean, last three years, what did, did he have? Like a lung punctured? Was it, it might have been against us? We might have punctured his lung and like ended his career at Texas Tech. And then yeah, like you said, he threw twelve passes over the last two seasons at Michigan. So like. Is he the same guy? And if you look at his at his year over year grades, like his best year was by far his first year, yep. and so it's like kind of been like a little bit of a mini regression every single year. Like second year is a little bit worse, third year was a little bit worse in the second, and so like I I don't know. Um, doesn't doesn't put a whole lot of lead in my pencil, but I mean neither do um, you know Garrett Rangel, Gunnar Gundy. Like those are these are the three names uh, at quarterback for them. I, I mean, is any, do any of those guys move the needle for you? Like Rangel was a fringe four star who like played a little bit last year and wasn't very good. So I don't know. I mean, it's right. Like you're looking for the big rebound year and it's like, yeah, Alan Bowman is, is, yeah, is, that's your guy is who I'm following to, to the promised land this year. That's the guy who's going to get us back to 10 wins. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm not seeing it. Like he's, he's fine. Played a lot of played a lot of games, but people had their qualms about Spencer Sanders. But Spencer Sanders was a pretty good quarterback. Yeah. Um, and last year, this team was 85th in effective offense. That was lower than any other Big 12 team, including the teams that are coming in. This was a, a bad offense, and I think you you pretty objectively take a downgrade at the quarterback position. Not yeah. a great sign. Um, and Sanders once again, kind of we've mentioned this about a lot of teams, but a lot of teams are really reliant on quarterbacks also in the running game. And Spencer Sanders was a huge part of the running game. Um, He was second in the attempts category. They lose their number one attempts guy, Dominic Richardson, who took the bulk of the carries, though I will say not very efficiently. Um, His yards per were not great last year. Um, So it's looking like the running game. I imagine it's going to be a a split between Jaden Nixon and Ollie Gordon. Ollie Gordon was a little more favorable in some of the efficiency metrics last year, um, but it looks like those those two guys are probably going to be the ones sharing the carries. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing. Um, I think Nixon, like Nixon's a kind of a highly rated. I think he was like a four star guy coming out. Um, very similar build to to Dominique Richardson. Oklahoma State seems to like these dudes who are like six foot, six foot one, like two fifteen. Um, kind of sledgehammer type dudes. And I feel like both of these guys fit that bill where, you know, they're probably not going to get you 65 yards, but if you need to get four, um, they, they'll put their head down and try and do that. Um, thought the, the, the notable thing, um, with both of these guys last year, uh, or well, a notable thing, 67 combined targets between the two of them, um, or between running backs last year. So they do throw the ball to these guys. Um, and both of these guys were pretty effective as pass catchers. So, um, I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll see some of that little safety blanket for, for Bowman, little check down Bowman action there. Um, but yeah, I mean, hard to tackle, probably a workman like backfield, but, but nothing overly explosive. Yeah, I agree. And, and yep, that, that is kind of the safety blanket. Always good for, uh, you know, a quarterback that you're not sure of, um, you know, they're, they're having these running backs where their average depth of target is like one yard, zero yards. Like they're just catching the ball in space. It's just a creative outside handoff. A lot of the times you yeah. know, is really the way to look at it. Um, but, you know, just talking about the other aspects of the passing game, you know, Brendan Presley is the, is the highlight of this offense. Um, in my opinion, uh, he was pretty solid last year, uh, 81 targets, 61 catches there, um, and 75% reception percentage. So um, I expect him, based on like the departures that we've seen on this offense, and, and, and especially speaking of the receiving room, he might jump to like that kind of 100, 120 kind of target guy. Um, even though he lines up in the slot a lot, I think slot a lot, He, I, I think he's going to be a guy you, you just want to get him the ball 
you know, 10 times a game if you can. Yeah, maybe some of the, the those Tank Dell uh, Tank Dell volume numbers, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Presley's good. I, I actually, you know, I don't I don't think a whole lot of this offense, but I low key like the wide receiver room. I think Presley's good. I think they added some nice uh, pieces in the transfer portal. Um, Dejon Stripling, uh, Stribling from from Washington State, currently listed as a starter at the Z for them, um, was was productive at Washington State last year. Uh, and then Blaine Green, Jaden Bray are uh, two dudes who have been effective at Oklahoma State in the past. And, excuse me, in the past. And uh, I think Bray got hurt in like the third or fourth game last year. And Blaine Green might have missed the whole season, but like played the year before and was okay. So, um, I mean, so they're getting some guys back. They had some guys in the transfer portal. I, again, don't think a whole lot of this offense, uh, this offense as a whole, but like the wide receivers aren't, aren't the problem, I don't think. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, you know, I was looking at some of the depth chart stuff and just the snaps and, and maybe some of those entries injuries I overlooked. Um, but I was, you know, I was kind of concerned more about the depth just in terms of the, the guys they had from last year and, and the targets they were losing. Um, I don't know if you mentioned Stribling from Washington state, getting him in. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I think that's, that's going to be a useful thing. He'll probably be starting right away. And, um, you know, I, I assume with Alan Bowman, you're going to continue a, a pass, I don't know. Are they going to be a pass-heavy offense, or um, are they going to be skilled enough to to run the ball? Because you know, last year, looking at a lot of the running backs, they really weren't putting up great efficiency numbers when they were running the ball. Um, so I'm really not sure what the the mix is going to be. I feel like Gundy has kind of experimented and gone all over the place. You know, used to think of a, a high-flying passing offense, but um, you know, really kind of changes the way he he has done things in recent years. Yeah, last year last year they were forty seven percent run, fifty three percent pass. But like the the prior two years, they were close to like sixty percent run. So you know, I this this team wants to run the ball if they can. It's just that you know, I mean, when you look like looking looking at the tight ends or the cowboy back or whatever the hell they call that position, um, the guys they had last year were bad. They're adding a dude from UMass who is currently listed as a starter, uh, Josiah Johnson who was bad at UMass last year. Like, so that's, you know, that's not great. Um, and then the, the offensive line was the worst unit in the conference last year. Maybe that's what, you know, I mean, hard to run the ball if guys can't block. Right. And they get four of the five dudes back from that, from that group. Um, so, you know, I, I think that the, this team wants to play defense and run the ball as much as possible. And just, um, you know, for whatever the piece and Jesus, I can't speak for whatever reason, the pieces have regressed a little bit, just kind of on both sides of the ball where you can't, you, you know, you have to be good to do that, to just kind of impose your will on teams. And if you don't have awesome players, it, it can be tough to do that. And so, you know, I think just like the minor regressions on both sides of the ball, dudes, fucking capital D dudes going to the NFL um, and the guys taking their place, not being as good. It, it's just kind of impacted the way that they want to play. Yeah, and, and the offensive line, you, you said it. I mean, that, this was the hamstring of the team last year. They, yeah. th- This is really, I think, what derailed them. And when I was reading off their schedule, I mean, the final like six games of the season, they, they didn't break over 21 points. Um, and the offensive line, I don't know if that was a depth issue or you know just a straight-up skill issue, but they folded. I mean, they just, they like you said, worst in the conference and um, you know, really towards the bottom of the power five in general. So that has got to be something that's changing. Um, you know, they get Jake Springfield back was the only guy who I really, uh, looking through his grades was solid, but you know, everybody else, um, trash. <laughs> trash. I mean, it's not, not a lot of, uh, not a lot of things to, to look great there. So, um, the offensive line has to turn around. I think that's the, that's the given. And, but that's also like the biggest opportunity for game. So, you know, if they can, they can find some more success there, um, you know, some other pieces they got they got some other guys here so yeah i mean i'm looking at this looking at this losing streak like they're trying to get north of 40 carries running the ball and the 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 output 54 yards against kansas state 111 against kansas 57 against iowa state 103 against oklahoma 180 against us um but only 4.2 yards a carry and then 52 against wisconsin in a bowl game i mean they're yeah they're trying to run the ball and people are just like okay yeah sure um we're not gonna let you so um, good luck with that. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, exactly. Um, so I guess transitioning now to the defense, um, you know, like we sort of mentioned Gundy, it seems like in recent years, just the sort of the blueprint of, of what 
they have been doing down in Stillwater has changed. Like I never thought of Oklahoma State as a great defensive team, um, but what was it two years ago? I mean, they had one of the stingiest defenses I remember, and in, in, at least in recent memory, um, you know they 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 were bullies. Like they they came in and took your lunch money, and they were they were tough. Uh, I I kind of like have a vivid memory of when we played them that year, and I mean they just smothered us. Um, yeah, so what, like nineteen total yards or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, like I, I think that was the game we like didn't get over half midfield until like the fourth quarter or something. Yeah. So, yep. um, you know, last year the defense regressed from great to you know I think they were like top five in the country two years ago to like to that good area. I think they were thirty uh, first in effective defense. Um, so now coming into this year, ninety seventh in returning production on the defensive side. Starting with the defensive line, um, my snap judgment of them is just it looks inexperienced. Um, just looking at the the guys they have, the the snaps they've played. Uh, this is not the defensive front that they had two years. It's definitely not the defensive front they had two years ago. Yeah, I mean you're losing guys like Tyler Lacey. Uh, you know you're you, you're losing multi year starters, uh, dudes who were part of like you said, a, part of a top five defense. I think the other notable thing, um, bringing in a new defensive coordinator, right? So you're breaking in new players, you're breaking in new new coordinator, new scheme. They're going from a four uh, from an even front, even four man front to a three three five. Um, don't know a ton about this guy, um, Brian Nardo, except that he's got a cool name. Um, he was at D2 Gannon last year. So big jump from D2 Gannon to the power five. But yeah, I mean, you lose, you lose three of your top four by snaps. You lose four of your top five by pressures. Um, Colin Oliver kind of getting a position change was, was previously defensive end. Now he'll play outside linebacker. I'm sure, you know, functionally that's not going to be all that, all that different, except maybe he has to cover a little bit more than, uh, he would have previously, but yeah, lots, lots of new, uh, lots of new names up front. Um, a couple of transfers, um, Justin Kirkland from Utah TC. I'm not, I'm guessing like technical college. So, you know, guy was good last year at Utah technical college. I'm not sure who Utah technical college plays, but, uh, I don't think they play in Bama, Paul. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then Justin Goodlow from Tulsa again, you know, questionable competition. Um, but yeah, just completely new set of faces up front, um, playing a new scheme. So you know, do their bodies match the three three five? Like, do the four three the the even front bodies match the the odd man scheme that they're playing now? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. I think just inexperience is the word like that I've written down for this, and and, and that's really what it looks like. We just go by snaps. But when you kind of step back to that now, linebacking core. I know you talked about um, the position position change uh, with Colin Oliver, but. Um, so now kind of fit him in the uh, the linebacking side of things. I kind of like the linebacker room. Um, Colin Oliver is on the All Big Twelve team, and I think I forgot to mention that um, Brendan Presley is also on the All Big Twelve team. Um, Colin Oliver is on the uh, the team and and going to be weak side linebacker. He was really solid last year. I also really like um, Xavier Benson. Yeah, no, I mean a good a good piece coming off the edge, um, and a uh, and a good piece in the middle. I mean that you know. That's a good start, right? Um, I think, it, yeah, it should be a good group of starters. I know um, Nicholas, uh, what is Nicholas Martin, um, played mm-hmm. a little bit last year, played decent. Um, you know, I, again, who, who knows about the depth, but if, they, if these guys can stay healthy, I think that the linebacker should be solid. Yep, and, you know, like the, I, I do feel like this team was built on pressure a couple of years ago and, and maybe sort of an identity change on defense. Um, you know, I like this linebacker core. I think the the secondary is is pretty solid as well. I think they they have enough pieces to be all right. Um, you know, I think Jabbar Muhammad's going to be a loss at corner. Um, he was pretty solid last year, but you got Corey Black and Cam Smith. Corey Black was was pretty good last year, and Cam Smith, um, you know, he got some snaps, not at not excellent grades last year, but. Um, he's going to be, be taking the role. He is just going to be a sophomore. So, you know, I think that just might be some growing pains. And then the other guy who they have on the, the, um, all big 12 team, the preseason team is Kendall Daniels, who's also going to be a sophomore this year. So, you know, you kind of have some like growing talent, some guys who, who, you know, they're, they're, they're on the up, the stock's on the way up here. Um, and you know, this could, this could be a secondary that could, that could grow and, you know, maybe be pretty good this year, maybe be really good next year. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like you said, you know, Corey Black, Cam Smith, like they have guys who played snaps last year and were serviceable. I'm not sure any of them are elite other than, you know, you mentioned Kendall Daniels. Um, so we'll see. I know, I mean, a big part of, of the pressure 
uh, that 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 they've gotten over the last couple of years has also been Oklahoma State's uh, been you know up there with uh, with TCU um, as you know one of the primary man man to man teams in the conference. Um, there's a lot of zone teams in the Big Twelve uh, aside from TCU and, and Oklahoma State, um, and so you know you you you're losing Jabbar Muhammad. Um, you're losing some of these pass rushers. Are, are you going to be able to play the same way that you've played mm-hmm. the last couple of years? I mean, are you even going to try to? You know, I don't know. I guess with this three-three-five, I guess we'll find out if they're going to uh, stay stay being a man-to-man team or if they're going to try and go more zone. So I don't know. I mean, it's going to be this is you know, I don't know. It's hard to get a read on the defense. Like I, they still have some good players out there. I just don't know how it's all going to fit together. Yeah. Um... And, I, you know, I'm not sure what is the strength of this team yet, to be honest. I right. don't know that they're a defensive strength like they have been. The offense was pretty bad last year. Are they better this year? Maybe. Um, but are they, they're definitely not like good, great elite. So, you know, are these two middle of the road units, which in my opinion is not a great place to be. Like you'd, you'd rather be, um, I mean, maybe you'd almost rather be Houston with more depth in just terms of like, hey, be really good at one thing and try to figure out the other one. Um, th- th- this team could end up in the middle of the road, picked in the middle of the road in the conference. They're picked seven of 14. Though they got one first place vote, which is just absolutely hilarious. Cause like, what is that? Um, so pick to finish seventh. And um, do you, uh, do you have the number at uh, yeah, six and a half? Yep. Six and a half out of conference, central Arkansas, Arizona state, South Alabama, I think that's two guaranteed, and you you, you probably want to have three there. I think I want to I want to say that I saw uh, some some model that was do it might have just even been FPI, but they're they're like seventy five twenty five favorites uh, at Arizona State, so that's they're going to be favored in that game by yeah. probably at least a touchdown. So 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 most likely we'll come out of out of conference with three wins. And you sorry, you said six and a half. Mm-hmm. So six and a half. Can you find four in conference? They get Kansas at home. They get Cincinnati at home. They open with Iowa State. I mean, you know, you open with Iowa State and Ames for your for your conference slate. I mean, there's a chance you're four and zero going with Kansas State coming to coming to Boone Pickens um, in October. You know, I mean, I'll I'll put my uh, my poke jersey on here and say you're three and zero. You beat Iowa State. You're four. You probably lose to Kansas State. You could beat Kansas. Unfortunately, you could beat West Virginia. You could beat Cincinnati. What's that get you to like seven and one? And then, I mean, they kind of. What is this have fucking a, schedule? I know they kind of. What is this fucking schedule? I'm just they, looking they kinda, at here. They kind of miss all the. Is <laughs> this got, the easiest fucking schedule in the conference? Uh, it's got to be up there with ours because they have no Texas. Um, they have no Texas Tech that I'm seeing. They have no, no Baylor. No Baylor. You get you get BYU, Houston. Um, they get all four of the new guys. All four of the new guys in Kansas, Kansas and Iowa State. <laughs> so like, <laughs> they could go. They could win nine games. So and suck. They could book, suck and win nine games. Book your tickets to Arlington, Pokes fans. Jesus fucking Christ. Um, it is there. So yeah, I guess the path is there if you find a way. Three, because four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. In a nutshell, this I'm looking be the at this, worst ten, this could be the worst 10-win team in the history of America. In a nutshell, I'm looking at this team, and I'm saying this is not a, a good Power 5 team, and they might end up with a good Power 5 record um, because of, of the schedule. It's a pretty favorable <laughs> schedule. There's no like rough patch that could wreck them either. Like, it's it's kind of like easy opponents sandwiched around one hard opponent. You know, like, um, obviously... Six oh weeks into God. this season, this things will be dumb. very different. But uh, yeah, very favorable schedule for the Pokes. So, so this is the first time I've actually sat here and looked through this thing, and it's just like, what? What are these guys playing at? Like, what the fuck is this? This is finished, a joke of a schedule. You, you finished the season. Your last five games, four of them are against the new guys. All four new guys. Um, I mean, seven of your last, what? Six of your last seven are against the new guys: West Virginia and Kansas. Um, so, oh my God. And you Ooh. open, and you open with Central Arkansas and Arizona State is like one of the probably two or three worst teams in the Pac-12, and South Alabama. Like what? Anyways, <laughs> um, I still can't believe this team got a first place vote in the Big Twelve. It's an absolute joke. It's a travesty. Like if you're looking at this roster, this roster yeah. is maybe not even top half. 
Um, I would say I would put them above Houston and above Pitt and below Penn State, TCU, and Texas Tech, just in terms of the teams that we've reviewed. Um, yeah, I think that sounds right to me as well. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think that would it's you like... you firmly put them above Houston? Uh, I, I think if, if you eliminate depth, if you're like luck, talking about the starting core, um, Houston's defense is bad, but Houston's offense is going to score a lot of points. Yeah. Like, I can't say that about Oklahoma State, that they're going to be. I can't for sure say they're going to be. I know Gundy will figure it out, but I, I can't for sure say either of these units is going to be like above average. True. And, and you know, I, I think we got a question in, in our Discord. We were like, hey, anybody have questions for Oklahoma State? They're like, is this just the Gundy effect? And like, maybe it is. And maybe we're maybe we're under his spell as well. Right. Because we just said this team lost six of their last eight games and then lost like a quarter of the team to the transfer portal. Um, and their quarterbacks might suck. Their offensive line might suck. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have. I mean, really, right. Decent running backs. They have one really good receiver and then. Some guys who might suck or might be okay. Who knows? The defensive line is all new. The secondary should be okay. The linebacker should. Yeah, I mean, are we under Gundy spell as well? Where we're, we're like we're looking at all these teams and being like, yeah, of course Oklahoma State should beat should beat Kansas and should beat West Virginia and should beat Cincinnati and all these teams. And like maybe I mean, what if they're just not that team anymore? Like, what if last year literally just broke the program? I don't know. It's a, yeah, it's a tough call because, like I mentioned, I think earlier Gundy has gone like 18 straight seasons with a winning record. Um, but man, you watched the last handful of games last year, and they were not a good team. So they're bad. They're they bad. Now. I don't know. I could again just looking at the schedule um, and like with the the vision of Oklahoma State I have in my head, they could win 10 games. But I also wouldn't be surprised if they went under six and a half. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Hard to get a read on them. I don't think they're good. I think we should beat them at home for sure. Um, yeah, and and Morgan's it's a very winnable like game. That. Yeah, that's it's a, a very winnable game. game. Um, yeah, who yeah. knows? I don't know. What else you got? Ooh, that's that's all I got for the pokes. Um, I think we we ran through it. I mean, um, we're really turning along in this this deep dive series. We are. I mean, we we skipped Duquesne, but we've got six Power Five teams down, and we have five to go. Um, next week we're looking at UCF and BYU. We got a double dose of new guys. Um, I'm excited at a, at a four game win streak in the middle of our schedule here. Is that, do we not even know that we're, we're I, two games into a four game win streak? And I think, next week we're, I think we mentioned maybe last pod, we might, we might've peeked into that and see like, Hey, if you survived to that point, um, Houston, Oklahoma state, UCF, BYU is a, is a stretch that Neil Brown needs to go three and one in like you, you got to go three and one for sure. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're probably, so like, let's say we're two and three or three and two after five. So you, the saying you beat, you beat Duquesne and then you beat, you either go one and two or yeah. Texas two Tech and one Pitt, against PC. Yeah. Yeah. We're losing to Penn state. It's fine. Whatever. Yeah. So one off. or two of those I just mentioned. I mean, if you're sitting at three and two and then you win four games in a row, that's, and we probably should extend Neil at that point. Sitting a little bit pretty. Yeah. <laughs> we'll try to extend him, but he'll obviously be getting, uh, you know, an offer from the SEC. Or Kentucky will probably be Kentucky in his will come at that point, yeah. After he sees us beat Houston and get to three yes. and three. <laughs> and then we can start this whole fucking circus over again. I can't wait. Yep. Hey, we're, hey, we're potting through it. Um, <laughs> clear, clearly, we're out here and care too much, but um, that's what summer's for. It's for getting your hopes up for WVU football. Next week, we're talking UCF and BYU. I'm excited about that. Um, for sure. Two winnable games, fresh meat, um, you know, some new, new, new things to learn. Um, UCF could be fun. They I... Could be- Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say, like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm drinking the Kool Aid yet, but like, I want to be drinking the Kool Aid. Like, I'm hovering by the table, kind of like hmm. gauging, gauging what yeah. other people are kind of reacting to it and all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm like Kool Aid adjacent. I haven't scooped yet, but you're watching. Um, but I'm thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've done fun. some. I've done some some pre prep on them, and and I was like, oh wait, really? Like, you know, yeah. Start, they started like watching some clips, looking at some numbers. I'm like. Oh, all right. Probably my dark, I mean, not dark horse. I think, you know, this looks like the best of the four new guys to me. For sure. You can see why they're, why they're getting a little bit of hype. 
yeah, I, I did not know until I started looking. But hey, that's why you're listening to West by Pod to learn these things. That's right. And uh, to be uh, a more informed college, vo- college football viewer. Um, so with that, that's all I got. Um, you got anything else, Jordan? All good. Can't awesome. wait next week. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. Thanks, as always, for listening. You can get at us on smokingmusket.com. You can find us on Twitter at westbypod with underscores. And uh, you can find us on Twitter individually, um, WV Stats Guy and Game Day Shorts. Or if it's X by the time you hear that, you know, I, I think we'll still be on there as well. So unless they make us pay for it. I don't know. <laughs> um, but that's all I got. Uh, that's all we got. And, um, yeah, we'll see you next week. All right. Take care, everybody. How to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.